0: Hello and welcome to Me Head Is Wrecked with Tony Kelly. I am, of course, your host, Tony Kelly, and I hope I find you well on this day, whatever the day is that you happen to be listening to it and to me. It's been a while. Yes, it has been a while, and it's been a strange while. I am recording this and releasing this this during the whole COVID-19, coronavirus worldwide pandemic. There's been a break in the podcast initially because I was doing my own one-man show, uh, The Hurler, an audience with Gar Campion that I'd been doing in my hometown of Waterford, Ireland. I'd been in rehearsals for it for a couple of weeks and then the the theatre run of itself had been so physically and emotionally demanding on me that I had uh, taken what I thought was two weeks off of the podcast and then, of course, the whole world ended up shutting down and... I record 99% or at least 90% of these podcasts face to face with my guests as it's just the way I like to do them other than I think maybe Rob Santos and Sarah and Massey, they'd all been done in person and I had some other guests lined up to be in person on the podcast over what would have been the next couple of weeks and obviously due to restrictions, lockdowns and stuff, that didn't happen so the podcast was officially on hold. Now adding to that the fact that um, some days for me have been okay and some have been very bad during this lockdown, I started getting into the whole idea that I shouldn't be putting out mental health podcasts when my own mental health, wasn't doing the best, which of course was ridiculous thinking, stinking thinking as they call it in um, recovery programs and I kind of i done a couple of interviews myself for different people's podcasts and stuff over last weekend and kind of realised that talking is good even if I was in a bad mood or not a great mood and and stuff, doing those different interviews and doing things, it, it kind of made me step up a little bit. And even just talking about stuff that had nothing to do with what was going on with me was at least getting me speaking to people and stuff and I thought, you know what? Uh, if any a time... We're a podcast called Me Head is Wrecked is Relevant. It's during the whole coronavirus, uh, COVID-19 pandemic. So I thought, look, I need to get this up and running again, if only for my own sanity and give me something to do because everything I had been planning on doing uh, is not happening, just like everybody else in the world right now. It's not just me, of course. Um, I was, of course, had a radio show called uh, Sound Out with Tony Kelly, That is not happening anymore due to the coronavirus pandemic. Um, I had a lot of stuff lined up in my future and plans and stuff that are on hold, I suppose, is the best way to look at it. And yeah, I suppose I just thought that there's a lot of content out there at the moment that people are trying to do from home. And this podcast was originally started by myself telling my story in a way to help people who are not doing well. With their own mental health and that I think is um, needed now more than ever and I kind of realise that now. So even if I'm not doing so hot myself some days these days, uh, I think it's important to keep this podcast and this train going. So that's what I'm doing. Uh, I hope you are well. I'm not going to really use this time to talk about myself because I never really do that. But I do think it's important to kind of share a little bit... Um, my guest today is OTT Wrestling, over-the-top wrestling owner, operator, creator, brain, brain, what do you call it, the genius uh, Joe Cabret. uh I am, of course, the OTT colour commentator. Uh, I moonlight as the bad guy commentator for OTT. Any of you OTT fans know that, of course, but any of my other listeners who know me from anything else don't know that I play a bad guy in a wrestling show. But uh, it's something that has brought great joy to my life over the last two years or more that I've been involved, Joe gave me that opportunity. Without knowing me from Adam, we came upon each other almost accidentally through me having done some small things in wrestling before. Maybe gave me a a, a chance to, to work with Joe when I put, the, put it to him that I would like to come and do what I ended up doing. Uh, so I'm hugely thankful for Joe for bringing that opportunity into my life and for bringing people into my life uh, who've become great friends and have taught and other people who've who've taught me a lot of of things Uh, it's you know it's given me something you know that I could have never read well I suppose that I've always wanted to do and to do it on the level that I get to do it with with OTT is something I'm so hugely grateful for and I have Joe Cabre to thank for that and Joe is not only someone who I suppose On one level is my boss, not necessarily my boss, but runs, you know, as the promoter I I work for. The gaffer, as I like to call him sometimes, uh, I'd like to think that Joe has become a good friend to me as well. And um, he's someone who, after getting to know him a lot better, I thought his story was impressive and inspiring enough as it was, without even knowing him personally, but now knowing him personally and knowing what way his mind works. I thought it was so important to have him on the show. And I'm so honoured that he, um, as such a closed off person that he is, uh, gave me his time to do this interview and I think it's it's um it's such an incredible story so I'm going to stop rambling now this is a longer intro than I usually do just because uh the show is resuming and I wanted to kind of touch base with people and um you know I'm the guy who comes on and oh I hope your head is not wrecked and you know um my head's been a little bit wrecked the last while and even just talking to Joe tonight um has helped me so I hope listening to Joe will help you um Please enjoy the interview with Joe Cabrerae. If you like what you hear from this show, please give us five stars on iTunes, leave a review or subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Spotify or wherever you are and tell your friends. So look, without any further ado from Tony Kelly, I welcome to the podcast, the great Joe Cabrerae. Okay, I'm here with, I suppose, owner and operator of OTT Wrestling, Over the Top Wrestling, Joe Cabre. Joe, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, uh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Not at all. It's a, it's definitely a different chat I think than we have ever had before in our lives together. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> How are you keeping at the moment, anyway?
1: Good. I think just like everyone, just kind of trying to beat the boredom and staying somewhat active as much as we can. But, um. Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat as everyone.
0: Yeah, I think that's kind of what's getting getting a lot of us through with this uh, this weird time is that we all really are, I, I don't want to say suffering, but we're all going through the same journey. So, um, hopefully, we can talk about your journey on this and kind of, and even even if it's nothing else, just distract people for for the duration of the podcast. So, look, I've given an intro to this before we started the interview. Uh, who you are? Uh, I, I'm going to take it as a lot of the people listening to this, especially the OTT fans, will all know who you are. But there will be a section of people that listen to this podcast that are not wrestling fans and know me from a totally different medium than the person that the that other people see on OTT. So we kind of approach it from that, I think. So, look, Joe, you're. Born and bred in Dublin, is that right? Yeah, yeah. What part of Dublin are you from?
1: Uh, in the city centre, so I kind of grew up in the hustle of, of the city centre. So uh, just off the uh, the eye near there, so I was quite, you know, in the in the centre of Dublin for my childhood. And how how old are you, Joe? Uh, Thirty-seven. Thirty-seven. Yeah. Because I think I think a
0: lot of people don't quite know, you know, because I'm thirty-four and I don't know how older than me you are. You're not going away.
1: Yeah. Very low-key.
0: Yeah, well, that's kind of you all over, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, I suppose, like, how I suppose that, how do you decide you want to be a wrestler?
1: I, I actually didn't think it was possible for me to be, a, you know, a wrestler. I thought, you know, it was an American thing, but... Um, Are you one of these people, like, who's, who's watched it since it came on Sky in the early days of the 80s? Yeah, I think that's what, you know, kind of captivated me as a kid, was just seeing these... Uh, kind of large in life, you know, superheroes on, on the TV screen. And, uh, I was, I was hooked, but, um, there wasn't really a wrestling school in Ireland. So I never really considered being a pro wrestler. Um, until I got talking to an Irish guy that was trying to set up a scene here and he had Irish whip wrestling and he was kind of running into problems in terms of, uh, promoting wrestling. And we started talking about, you know, kind of laying the foundations of maybe trying to put a school together and, a uh, training up a batch of Irish wrestlers so we could uh, put on shows. And that's how I kind of fell into it myself and started training. But I suppose like a lot of us, you fell in love with it as a, as a kid. Like, So how old were you when you started watching in the first place? Um, I would have been pretty young because I think my, my, my first memories is kind of watching André The Joint and, and, and Ravish and Rick Rude. So we're probably talking, I was probably like maybe five or six, maybe. Quite yeah. quite young, yeah. Same as myself, yeah. And you have, a, you have a brother as well, don't you, who is also a wrestler, is that right? Yeah, he was a wrestler and he he trained and uh, a lot of people said that, you know, he would have, he probably could have went on and done something, but, you know, I kind of think he just lost passion for it, but uh, he's still into uh, challenge, he's now into uh, jiu-jitsu now, so that's kind of why he challenges on you. So,
0: yeah, so I suppose like having two, is that it, is it just you and your
1: brother and or do you have a bigger family than that? Uh, Yeah, just me and my brother. My uh, father passed when I was three and uh, so it was... You know, just me, and my brother, and my mom. So we're really kind of a close, close family.
0: I never knew that. That's that's new information, I suppose. Um, like, how does that, how does I, I'm obviously that never happened to me. How does that affect your growing up?
1: Um, I always used to say, you know, like I never knew my father because he passed when I was three. But uh, I started talking to a, a psychologist a while ago, and and they were saying, like, you know, you've no understanding as to how you develop as a child from you know zero to three and how influential your father would have been so that kind of gave me a bit of um kind of like a, a kind of a better feeling about the whole lot but uh i'd say it was tough for my mom because um my mom was like 23 and you know next of all she's you know two kids that she has to you know go out into the workforce and support and um, because my father was uh he was a plumber right but um, it was back in the day, a plumber was a pretty good job to be, you know, supporting a family on. And my mom is 23, as I said, and now she's having to go out into the workforce and, you know, uh, provide for, for two young kids. So it was probably tough on her as well, I'd say. But um, our family was quite supportive. So, you know, I ha- we she had a lot of support in, in, in terms of her family. And uh, my childhood, though, was, was, was quite amazing. You know, I, I have a very fond memories of my childhood and stuff, even though I didn't have a father growing up.
0: That's great. I mean, I, I think there's a lot to be said for having a tight family, whether it's immediate or extended family. Yeah, you know, I, I know I come from a close family within my own home and my extended family as well. Like I often talk about my second cousin said this and my friends are like, you know, your second cousins. I don't even know some of my first cousins.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, no, so we were, we were quite close and uh, yeah.
0: That's great. So look, I suppose like you had the same upbringing. Wrestling-wise, I suppose, as a lot of us, I started watching wrestling when I was probably four or five, I think 1990, 1991 kind of thing. And we all kind of fell in love with these superhero guys on the TV. And I suppose like yourself, you look at it and go, well, that's America. That's a big different world. So fast forward into that conversation you had with the guy who started Irish Whip Wrestling. Is is that
1: Simon Rochford? Simon Rochford, yeah. And basically he was saying that it wasn't possible to put on wrestling uh, live event wrestling in, in, in Ireland because he was saying, you know, you had to bring in a ring, you had to bring in all the wrestlers, you had to, you know, bring in referees and uh, you know, ideally the only way of setting up a scene in Ireland was to have uh, trained Irish wrestlers. So uh, got to work on that with him and uh, we went in and we, you know, got a school and put open up a school in the North Strand and got a trainer and Kind of trained the first batch of uh, of Irish wrestlers. Um, there was the Fight Factory School that was at Bray.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, we were based in the city centre of of Dublin in the North Strand. So, so
0: but without ever really having stepped in a ring, knowing anything in the wrestling business, you were pretty much on on the top or are kind of in a in a leadership position from the start. Then is that kind of right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I know I've I've got into. Uh, got into kind of issues on twitter about this but uh despite what fifth Finley says there was no irish wrestling uh you know there might have been some um stuff up the north many yeah. years ago but there, there was no scene here so we're all on the ground kind of just essentially trying to build the foundations of, of wrestling and around that time you would have had guys like madman manson and Sheamus and um you know, in the Bray school, you would have had Fergal and, sorry, Finn Balor, and you would have had Paul Tracy and Paddy Morrow and uh, all these guys, and, and Becky Lynch kind of yeah. building the foundations out there. So uh, it was uh, a crazy fun time, probably some of my best memories as well. We were all just down in a, we actually had a, a little train arch and uh, there was enough space to get the ring in and maybe two or three judo mats, but uh, everyone was. <laughs> just such a good vibe you know everyone was kind of going down and training i think the school during the summer was open maybe six days a week It was just so much good energy everyone was so um committed to trying to make it you know and how old are you at this age? uh probably mid-20s i'd say 25 so what was
0: before this like was this always the dream i need to try and find a way to be a wrestler somehow or was there anything else for you
1: no, because I just, I never believed that it was possible for Irish people to become pro wrestlers, you know? Um, yeah, because you were after mentioning names, like even Seamus take it for, for there. Like
0: Seamus is on your side of the fence, I suppose, in, in the IWW camp, without, yeah. getting, without getting too far into it for, for non-wrestling people. But like, people, I think even non-wrestling people would know who Seamus is because he was the first Irish guy to ever go over there and, and do something. Yeah. So like, was it when you see kind of them sniffing around him that you start going, well, maybe this is an option or, or how did that come together?
1: No, so as I said, even though I set up the uh, the rest the, the the wrestling school with, with, with Irish Whip wrestling, I didn't have much interest in training myself. Um, and I've told the story before, but basically what happened was we held the open day, and uh, we kind of seen that the majority of people that came to try out were very young, or you know they were still young and developing. And uh, I had a talk with Simon at the time, and I was like even if we train these guys up, we can't put them on shows that, and I mean, at the time as well, like you're talking maybe 15 years ago. So it still was very much a, um, body business, you know? Yeah. Everyone was, you had to be all, you know, kind of jacked up and stuff like that. Um, we're talking before, you know, the time of, of, of like, you know, the Ray Mysterios and the Chris Jericho's we're kind of talking around, still around the time of like, you know, the big muscular guys and, (gasps)
0: Well, that's kind of that's kind of where I'm going with this is um, you always had a good physique as a wrestler, still do, and keep yourself fit. Was that something you got into before you got into wrestling or did that come with the
1: wrestling, the training? Yeah, well, it, that's essentially where it ended up being. Um, it was Simon who said, well, why don't you do a bit of training? Because uh, I just always, I think as well, like having heroes, all my heroes were kind of these wrestlers that it was a natural. My uncle as well was a, uh, was kind of into bodybuilding and, and you know so I kind of fell into it like that so I'd, I'd always kind of liked working out and when the school rolled around even though I had no interest in being a wrestler uh, I was still pretty much bigger than most of the guys except Seamus of course and yeah. um, that was trying out so that's how essentially I uh, decided right I might have to give this a shot myself.
0: Yeah because I think kind of there's two schools with you like you're obviously have had a very successful wrestling career you got to the WWE system which we we'll get to as well but like I think a lot of people especially in the last couple of years see you as such an unbelievable mind and such an unbelievable promoter like I have friends who you who you have been introduced to who are boxing promoters and they are in awe of your promotion skills so that's kind of what I suppose I'm getting at is that is has that always been something you've been into was kind of promoting our, our business had a business mind
1: um I I don't know I, I, I it was funny. I was kind of thinking about it the other day. I wasn't really the greatest student in school, but I wasn't one of these kids either that, that was disruptive. Um, I just liked sitting down the back of the class and kind of daydreaming. Um, See, so I think I've always just been, I've always been very comfortable about going into rooms on my own and just, you know, sitting there and daydreaming for, for hours. I'm not someone that needs a phone to constantly. I always say as well that if you're if you're consuming more than you're creating then that's that's kind of an issue and i've always been somebody that's you know i i like to throw my phone away and just sit in my bed and just think um so i think at this time as well like i had a lot of lot of ideas as to how we could promote irish wrestling and stuff like that so um i wouldn't say you know in terms of business i'd say my business mind is so-so, is but I'd say my creative mind, because I spend so much time on my own just thinking, I think, is um, something that's kind of helped me along the way. So when we first started Irish Whip, you know, I, I, I'd still, back then, I was thrown in the deep end, didn't know much about promoting, but uh, had to learn as we went along, really.
0: Yeah, and of course, you transitioned from the Irish scene to starting your own company that, that I suppose was the precursor to OTT that you toured. Um, will you tell us a little bit about that, AWR?
1: Yeah, well, basically, as well, like just going a little bit back to that, the the way the way Irish wrestling was was that you basically you wrestled in for school. So at the time you had uh, there was a Northern Ireland school it was UCW, right. and you had the Irish Whip Wrestling School, and then you had the Bray School, which was uh, NWA Ireland. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, guys stuck to their school, and they only trained and they only wrestled on shows from their school, and it was myself. Uh, Jamie Coleman and Alex Breslin, um, who kind of sat down and said, like, well, what would happen if we created our own promotion that was independent and took the best guys from each school and put them on a show? So we created a, a promotion called uh, No Limit Wrestling, which kind of took off, uh, was doing some, some, some decent shows from the ringside club, which is kind of funny because it's yeah. where we, we kind of bring contenders from. And then, um, essentially yeah we just got involved with an entertainment company and before you know it we're kind of promoting shows all over Europe and doing live tv and um it's fun looking back on it now but we were you know myself and Jamie Coleman were just two young guys that were thrown into the deep end and getting into arguments with with Scott Steiner and (laughs) Booker T and like yeah. crazy crazy time
0: no it is but you've had you've' you're, i've heard of you doing interviews before and obviously overheard you talking in private and stuff like that about different things and you've you've left you've learned or you've lived a, a kind of a such an amazing journey of a life, but like you were so young when you did all that kind of stuff I suppose one of my questions would be like your personality to me is very stoic like when I started this podcast, I had a list of people who I would want to come on, and I never would have even thought to have you come on because until we until recently when we had some conversations, I would have thought that you were so like uh like almost like a Superman, I suppose. Like nothing could phase you, nothing you know that that kind of way. Like I've I I would say I wouldn't necessarily say you're an intimidating personality, but you know what I'm trying to say.
1: Yeah, I think maybe maybe I'm just very closed. I'm a bit introverted, so I think it's very hard to figure me out. I think a lot of people don't really know me because I'm I am actually introverted and You know, I kind of keep very close guarded. Exactly.
0: So that's kind of like, is that something that is from childhood or is that something you developed through the wrestling business that you felt
1: like you needed to protect yourself that way? I don't know. Um, I've always been, as I said, like, you know, even going back from from my days in in school, like I, I just wanted to sit down the back and be by myself and just, you know, daydream all day. And I think I just like being on my own. Um and I don't know. It's just yeah, not it's, the most sociable person. It's kind of weird and it's but it's, I just accepted it. That's who I am. So you know Oh, for
0: sure. And it is, it's absolutely who you are. But for me coming in like how, I don't know, whatever it was two years into OTT be already being a thing, I was like, Is this is this the way Joe wants it to be? Does he want there to be this separation between church and state? Or is this Joe? You're not gonna wait? And, and oftentimes I've gone, geez, I wish I was more like Joe because I'm, I'm a very sensitive soul, Joe. You know that from, from yeah. things that we've had. And I mean, I do this podcast, I've admitted it. And it's like oftentimes just look at people like you and go, my God, I wish like I could just let not, nothing affect me. Now, obviously that's not the case with you, but on the outside, it certainly looks that way. And I always just wondered, was it a, was it a choice that that's what you were as a promoter or is that you as a, as a person?
1: Yeah, I, I like I certainly wasn't somebody that'd hide my emotions, especially back in the day, which we might touch on in the early days of OTT. Like, I was a bit, oh, of, you yeah, I was a bit of a, a fucking probably a bit of an asshole. But, um, I think as I got older as well, I think I just it's just, I think as well, people a lot of people are only around me on show days, and um, so a lot of my trainees at my school kind of you know it's a bit more relaxed, I think like yourself as well, like you'd kind of only be seeing me around show days. Yeah. Like if me and you go for a coffee on a random day, I think it's a, it's a different story. But on show days, I think yeah. I've just, I've so much um, that I kind of need to be in the corner of the room just thinking by myself, like, okay, so and still the hotel room. I got to get this promo done. And um, What's the finish of this match? Is this music set up? What's the story with the lights? You know, I've just so much going on that I can't, I don't have time really, I suppose to kind of just hang around and and shoot the shit with people, you know? So maybe that's where a lot of it comes from. (laughs) People don't get to see me on show days when everything is just hectic. Maybe, but it's
0: it's for me. It's actually the perfect way to be as someone who runs the show because you really run the show. You know that kind of way, especially on show days, as you said. Like it's just all business, and it's it's so professional, and it's a very. I just wondered always. Now, obviously, from getting to know you, I know that you're a different person. As you said, we go for coffee, but just I always wondered on show days, is it something that you actively built up to? Being in the wrestling business, that kind of wall, or was that just the way you handle your business? Or so I suppose that answers the question.
1: Yeah, I think, I think I'm a little bit more uh, laid back if it's not a show day, but on a show day, I think I just find them pretty stressful. I just want everything. And I think as well, part of it, part of it is just probably a bit of control, but I kind of pretty much handled the majority of things of OTT, like, you know, from every aspect, from, you know, merchandise, oh, yeah. you know, so I think that could be it as well, you know.
0: So you're, you're in your twenties, you're running this AWR tour where you got X WWE wrestlers, huge names, and you're somehow in this position of touring these huge buildings. You've got TV in Europe and stuff like that. Are you still wrestling now, Joe, or are you just running the company?
1: Uh, we had so much more help. Um, so back in the day on those tours, they were, they were gigantic. They were probably too big um, looking back on it, but, we had uh we had two tour buses uh two production trucks on the road with us constantly um you know we'd get to the, to the to the venue and there'd be catering there and um so we had a lot more help. we had tour managers we'd stage hands, so I was able to wrestle on some of those shows um i didn't wrestle on them all sometimes I just like to be backstage and kind of making sure that everything is running but um yeah with the extra help um we just, I was able to do with some of those shows, which was a great experience getting out and wrestling in front of, you know, 5,000 people and, in all these different countries, you know?
0: Absolutely. I'm sure it laid the groundwork for where you're eventually going to end up, which is where we know in, in the WWE system. But just kind of before we get to that, I suppose a lot of casual fans and, and stuff will know and have heard stories about the party atmosphere in wrestling and stuff like that especially back in the day and now you have a lot of these guys who've come from ecw or or other or other eras and like did you see much of that did you partake in much of that being on the road because we've heard the tales so many times of heavy drinking and partying and stuff like that was that something you ever got into
1: uh yeah i mean i think the problem was as well was those tours were basically filled and i'm not i mean there was obviously some some really i have to say the majority of the wrestlers that i've come in contact with from the ott level are a hundred percent but the former we guys were not all of them you know but i'd say 85 percent of them were cool and easy to deal with and then the other 15 percent were just were nightmares but um <laughs> the majority of the people on those tours were people on those tours were basically people who had been fired by WWE for reasons, you know? And so there was on those tours, uh, there was a lot of drugs and that would have been the first time I would have taken Oxycontin and stuff like that. Um, And essentially just, you know, that's kind of where I, uh, it's kind of where I found out about it, you know, where you're sitting on the bus and you're like, um, you know, fuck my back is completely messed up and, someone says, well, here, take this and you take it. And then it's, you know, two, three days down the line, you realize you're, you're, you're taking Oxycontin and stuff like that. And, you know, which is an opiate, which is essentially kind of like, almost like heroin. Um,
0: yeah. I was going to just interject. It's not almost like heroin. It's, it's, it's basically it, heroin in a pill, Yeah, you
1: know? So uh, like, yeah, then, yeah, go on. Sorry. And so, so, you know you're, you're you're taking oxycontin and then you look across from the guys and the guys aren't taking the oxycontin anymore they're hitting it with their shoe and they're snorting it you know yeah. and i was just like going fuck i don't want to end up like that guy and then you know test who who'd passed away um i remember a tour manager coming to me and he said i've probably dealt with every major rock band he said he said, I have never seen someone so bad on drugs, he said, as as test. And it's sad in the end because at the end of the day, like the drugs got him and yeah. unfortunately overdosed. But I mean, when you've seen test in, in 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 person, I mean, what an impressive guy. Like 6'6", six, six, jacked, tanned, had everything going for him, but just could not, just really sad, just could not get over the... Um, the drugs you know and the, um, it's unfortunate but there was a lot of guys in those tours that were pretty messed up from from drugs you know
0: I yeah that, like, even if I, if you listen to anyone who listened to my part my story on this podcast like knows my my go, it going ins and outs with opioids and oxy and stuff like that so it is interesting to hear and i wasn't even in the wrestling business i was a comedian um so it is interesting to hear obviously test was a former wwf wrestler for anyone who doesn't know but i always yeah so i always wonder with yourself being on those tours did you ever get kind of carried up in it but like was it kind of seeing that then is that maybe a warning to you that you went I don't like you already said yourself I don't want to end up like this
1: did, did, did it make you stay away more or how did that go um yeah I mean when, when you're looking across and you kind of see guys passed out and you see guys that are just unable to perform and you're like I don't want that to be me and um, it was after a tour as well that I kind of got home and started to research uh, Oxycontin and stuff and kind of realized as to how, you know, at the time there was a massive crisis in in, in America where people were seriously hooked on these pills. And I remember the first time we got it, I've got a prescription for them in France and I went to fill the prescription um, in in a pharmacy and the guy was looking at me. He's like, I have no idea as to how you've got this prescription. And he said like these, these pills that you have have been given a prescription for, he said are for, people who are in the late stages of cancer. uh, I'll need to see your passport. As I said, I still didn't know what they were at the time. And I gave him my passport and he filled the prescription and uh, off we went to the next town. But, um, yeah, you know hillbilly
0: heroin they called
1: it and they, they they
0: still do in in some circles you know that was what originally it was called and like you mentioned the thing about breaking it up with the with their boots and stuff like that i was i was going down that road you know i was i was at that and there's a scene in that movie a star is born i don't know if you've seen it it doesn't seem like a very joker bray movie to see, to see it.
1: <laughs> no i haven't
0: <laughs> i didn't think so but there's a scene in that where bradley cooper does it He breaks up a pill like that with his boot and sniffs it. And I went, Jesus Christ almighty, look at that. And you know, you kind of, you think back to when you were in that situation and you go
1: like, you know, I'm very thankful at least anyway, to not be in it. So I, 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 like a story. I remember one time, um, I remember one time I had real jet lag. I'd come back from Japan and um, I couldn't sleep. So I took uh, one of the guys over there had given me a sleeping pill and uh, I took the sleeping pill at maybe four o'clock in the morning and uh, I woke up at like four o'clock the next day and I jumped out of bed. I was like, I couldn't believe it was four o'clock in in, in the day, but my legs were still kind of rubbery. Yeah. I was like, she's like, I feel really shit. Like I still felt like I was half asleep. And uh, later that evening, I was there with my girlfriend at the time. And she said, uh, by the way, she said, why do you have Rohypnol? And I was like, what? She goes, those pills there, she said, are Rohypnol. So uh, I would actually went over and checked the pills and it was actually, uh, you know, Rehypnol. Some of these guys were using Rehypnol for sleeping pills, which is crazy.
0: Yeah, it's scary. And I mean, like, it's, it's something I think I needed to kind of touch on with you because of who was on those tours and what you may have seen. And a lot of people do associate still that era, especially of pro wrestling with those prescription pills. And obviously me having come from that world as well of being addicted to them and being in recovery from them myself, I felt it was important to kind of to kind of go there with that. So look, on a more positive note how did you end up
1: eventually going to wwe or their system um so yeah around 2010 11 uh, we all remember the big uh, the big economy crash that happened and uh those big tours were kind of no longer um, people just weren't paying big ticket money anymore and I'd always said that the shows were too big, you know, as I said we'd you know two tour buses, two production trucks, and um, just to, as I said like catering at the shows the the shows were costing you know tens of thousands each night um and they just weren't viable in that economy at the time, so um I came from kind of making good money to you know being like everybody else in a in, you know a victim of the recession and I just remember thinking to myself like, I mean, I got hit pretty badly by that recession, you know, because as I said, I was, you know, doing event promotion and I was like, I need to do something, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, my girlfriend at the time was, was, you know, she, she'd done some modeling stuff. And I remember just thinking, I was like, maybe the two of us can get to WE. So I gave, uh my girlfriend at the time a crash course in wrestling and she went to the tryout and got signed immediately. Really? Yeah. Um I think she was quite athletic. Um was she a stunt she, woman as well. Sorry? Yeah. She's a
0: stunt woman, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um I think she she was fairly athletic and, and she just had that look that they that they wanted. And uh, you know, I remember she said that she, she knew she was signed within the first, you know, two or three hours because they just looked at her and she was brought into a separate room and, you know, given, you know, an, an interview with, um, I don't, I don't know if it would have been Johnny Ace at the time. Right. And then, uh, I went for a tryout then the, a couple of months later and then, and then I got signed as well. Um, was
0: your tryout at the point or was it a private tryout somewhere else? Or how did that
1: work? No, I went over to, I think it was London. They were doing the TV tapings, uh, in London. and we had a tryout at, yeah, before before uh, SmackDown and before Raw, right? Yeah.
0: And did you have a similar situation then, where you kind of knew you were going to be signed because you had a great look, or how long into it did it kind of make you
1: figure out that this is going to be they're going to sign me? No. So when I went to my tryout, usually the tryout used to be about fifteen guys, and when I went to the tryout, there was only six of us, and um one of them was was Pack uh, Adrian Neville. Yeah. And Regal came into the room and he said. Uh, Pack had already been signed uh, at this point. He'd already signed his contract and he was down just to see how he was on promos, but uh, he wasn't really doing a tryout at the time. And Regal came in and he said like, look, I'm going to be honest with you guys. We're not really here to sign anybody because we are moving our developmental system down to, uh, to Orlando. And we're just not going to be signing anybody. So, um, you know, you'd want to really put out a, a really good try out for us to offer you a deal. Um, I think I done okay in the wrestling aspect, I uh, had a couple of issues there, but I think the promo kind of really blew them away. Yeah. And, uh, they did. Yeah. They, they offered me a contract and, um, gave me the option of either moving to Tampa and doing like three or four months in Tampa or just waiting to Orlando. And, uh, I was so eager. I was quite old as well. I was, uh, I think I was 31 maybe when I was signed, which is quite old to be yeah. signed. So I knew I had to get in there, uh, get out of developmental as quick as I could, and get onto TV as quick as I could. Uh, I knew my time was limited essentially because they'd signed me at such a, an old age. And um, 31, I know it doesn't sound that old for, for most people listening, but for wrestling. Yeah. It's, it's quite old.
0: Well, I think anyone, even who's a fan of football or any athletic sport, yeah. will, will, will know that that's not old in the real life, but in sports
1: yeah. terms, it's older. Yeah, it's old. Yeah. So I knew I had to get into developmental and get out as quick as I could. But so this I is
0: something that cool. fascinates me as well. Is that like you? You admittedly like are a, a kind of a, a shy, introverted guy. Yeah. But, but yet your promos, your interviews for anyone who doesn't know what that is like, when you're talking to the camera or whatever through the microphone, are so good. Where, how did that develop? Because that was something I wanted to ask, was, was that something they developed or something you had going in there?
1: Uh, I think I, I mean, they definitely, definitely, like, developed it. But I think I had a decent base because, I, I like, I was lucky as well. From those tours, uh, Brett Hart, I'd kept in contact with him. And right. I remember mailing Brett, and I was like, you know, I have a tryout. Can you give me advice? And he actually called Regal for me and said, like, you know, what? what are you guys looking for? Wow. And uh, he said that you know, your promo is incredibly important, uh, your look is incredibly por- important, and your athleticism. And they said in that order as well. So, I'm like, um, oh, the promos are incredibly important to all of this, so maybe that's what I need to focus on. So, uh, I focused a lot of energy on you know, building a really good promo, and uh, you know, it just paid off in the end, I suppose, because i i did the homework you know
0: yeah no it's absolutely amazing like and then all of a sudden then you went from like the kid thinking oh this is an american thing i can never be in wwe or be a wrestler and then all of a sudden you find yourself in orlando signed by wwe in their developmental system and working under names like dusty Rhodes. yeah does that just blow
1: your mind incredible like i mean i i, I actually went to tampa first so i so right. i went to tampa for a while so i was a part of the old uh uh, NXT I don't even know what it was called it was called FCW NXT. No? FCW yeah I don't know what they were calling it, NXT at the time but I remember the first day walking in and they had this big banner and it was like remember you're a WWE superstar and I was like holy fuck so <laughs> cool.
0: yeah because I mean like you you have done what only li- you can literally count on one hand the amount of Irish people who've who've gone and done this and at the time you could certainly only count on maybe one
1: finger yeah I mean like I'm not taking it away from anybody, you know. At the time, but like being signed to, a, to 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 a to a WWE contract and actually going to Florida, and you know, was it, w- it was a big deal, you know. I mean, I, it's it's a lot easier. And again, I'm not taking away from the from the guys that are signed now, you know, but even, but uh, on the UK contracts. But for an Irish guy to get signed to a proper full time WWE performance center. Uh, Orlando, Florida contract was uh, was a big deal at the time. Yeah. no,
0: I, I back you up on that because it, it it was. I remember being in the book center in Waterford, where I'm from, uh, which is a big bookshop, obviously, but they have magazines and stuff like that. And I used to have a good buddy of mine. We're not friends anymore, but that's besides the point. <laughs> but he 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 had Fighting Spirit magazine or something like that, and you were in it. And he was like, oh, this guy's going to be huge. He is from Ireland. And you were doing the, like, the, the Luther Ward kind of Brad Pitt from Snatch gimmick at this point. And he showed me your picture. And I just looked at you and went, oh, I can't wait to see him on TV.
1: Yeah.
0: So it was like, but I, I had only, ta- obviously, we'd known Seamus was there, but I, I had no idea. And I knew uh, Fergal Finn Balor was wrestling in Japan. Yeah. But like to hear that another Irish guy was over there was, even for, for a fan, was actually mind blowing at the time.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was, it was a crazy time. I remember just kind of Yeah, it it was surreal. I mean, I remember getting that contract and, and signing it and just going, "Holy fuck." Like yeah. this is a headed paper.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I know I know exactly what you mean. Um but so now you're in Orlando, right? Uh, was your girlfriend at the time did she go with you or how did that end up happening?
1: No, she never made it. Um she she she, she just had a really string of bad luck. She tore her ACL in training mm. uh, with Jordan Devlin. Yeah. It wasn't Jordan Devlin's fault, Now, but uh, she tore the ACL um, and contacted her and said, you know, I've torn my ACL. And they said, okay, get it repaired. Mm-hmm. This was like literally maybe three, three weeks before she was supposed to move over. Oh, uh, she was in proce- process of getting her visa. So she had the ACL surgery and then was maybe five months out of uh, recovery um, met up with some friends. Uh, one of the friends gave her a bear hug. They both fell to the ground and she tore it again. Oh, God. And at that point, we just said, look, we we, we can't wait because ACL surgery, if anyone's had it, they know it's just uh, it's a horrible, horrible yeah. surgery. I mean, you're talking eight, eight, eight to eight, nine eight months. months, eight, nine months yeah, of recovery. And they were like, essentially, we said we're not going to wait two years, you know, so uh, they 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 canceled her contract. So she never made it. So I ended up living with uh, me and Becky Lynch. Uh, Becky Quinn ended up moving in together and, and, and uh, training because she she got signed and then moved over uh, to the performance center in Orlando. So when I was moving from Tampa, Becky was moving from Dublin. We decided to, you know, just share costs and, and get an apartment. It was well, that's,
0: that's perfect because that's what I'm going with next. Is that like you were over there alone as as i would have thought and like i was going to say like what was that like for your head in america because i can only speak from my own end of things when i moved to america doing what i was doing originally i was completely alone and left to my own devices and it ended up quite disastrously so yeah. did you find having becky there with you was a, a great help
1: or were you still with your mind wandering a little bit still i I wish I had have waited. I wish I had have told WWE and it's all hindsight. I wish I had told them that I'll wait and go to Orlando. Uh, I went to Tampa. I went to Tampa. And like you said, I was completely, completely on my own. Um, I think, you know, as I said there earlier, I put so much focus into being a great wrestler, having a great promo and making sure I looked the part. And I didn't put enough emphasis on how hard it would be to leave my life behind. Yeah. Um, you know, you probably understand all this as well what I'm saying, you know, like uh, I realized, you know, I had to condense my life into three suitcases. I lost my dog. I split up with the girlfriend and, um, you know, you know, comforts, you know, you know, like if you're kind of just feeling down or something like that, you know, you give give someone a call and you go out for a drink or you go for coffee. And I didn't have that in. Um, I didn't have that in in, in Tampa. Uh, I was very much alone. And I think as well the problem with it as well as the, the kind of entertainment business that I was involved in being WWE it was kind of, everyone was trying to get out of there, you know, and everyone was kind of paranoid. So you, it wasn't like going into an office, you know, a nine to five office where everyone was just kind of, you know, happy yes. to get along. People are trying to, people are looking at you as your competition. So sure. it wasn't like they were going to go out drinking with you, you know, and they, you did have some friends, um, but it was very much like everyone's for themselves, um, the environment. And then on top of that, then I got two back-to-back concussions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose as well, like the the concussions in itself probably cause depression. Yep. And you probably have a little bit of depression anyway, because you're on your own and you're you're kind of you know, you're lonely and you don't have your family, you don't have your supports that you're and your comforts, I suppose, you know, I mean, I had a dog that was a massive comfort to me and all that was gone. And I'm just in a little studio apartment in, in Tampa. Um, moving up to Orlando. um, was much easier. Um, especially as well, having Becky there, um, and Be- me and Becky, like get on so well, you know? Yeah. Um, but, I just felt at that point that WE were kind of looking at me as damaged goods. I think they'd looked at me already like, you know, this guy is, uh, you know, he's, he's in his early thirties. He's had two concussions. And um, and I think that was kind of weighing heavy on my mind as well. you know.
0: And do you think there was any substance to that? Or do you think it was something that you, because I'm the best in the world for creating these scenarios that don't exist in my head. Do you think there was any bit of that in it? Or do you think it was really, was
1: that? Um, I don't know. I, I just, I couldn't catch a break. Um, I, and it was probably me because my mental state, I always, I remember reading it. I remember listening to an interview with Tom Platz. So if anyone knows this, listen to this, will know he's a, he's a famous bodybuilder and uh he was pretty big on saying that if your mind is is starting to go your body will give out and i think that's what happened to my girlfriend and um, she would have been at the time she would have been moving to uh tampa on her own because their contracts we weren't signed at the same time i don't think she really wanted to go and i think that's why she tore her acl and um, tom platz as well was you know known for the the, the best legs and bodybuilding and you know, he said that he was so busy traveling and doing all these conventions and he was starting to become unhappy. And then one day, uh, I think he tore his quad and it was his mind's way of saying, you've had enough. It's Mm -hmm. time to go home and take some time off. And I always wonder, like, did I get those concussions? Because I just mentally just wasn't there. Um,
0: and is there any way to help yourself, Joe, when you're, when you're over there on your own? Like, I mean, the American healthcare system is not exactly known for its hospitality. So you can't exactly walk in. Like, did WWE provide any counseling? Did you go about counseling yourself? Did you, like, did you, like, for me, in that scenario, I turned to drink, I turned to drugs, I didn't turn to help. Did you self-medicate or what did you do to handle it?
1: Or did you handle it at all? No, I mean, like, we were drug tested. And I know people look at the WWE drug test and go, it's a joke. Cause it was it certainly wasn't a joke for me. Um, yeah. I wasn't a big drug user anyway. Like I I mean, I wasn't a drug user period. Um, so, you know, I, if people know me as well, know that I, I, I very, very seldom drink. So that wasn't a, a, a thing for me. Um, you know, the the thing as well is that you weren't going to go to the B and say, "Hey, I'm feeling depressed," because yeah. then it goes, "Well, this guy is depressed. We need to get rid of him." You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. um, there wasn't really that much support. Uh, I have heard now that it's 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 a lot better for for the guys there now, but um, back then, like you know, I remember one guy uh, got suspended because he took uh, Xanax. You know, and. Mm-hmm. That was basically it, you know. You didn't get fired, but like, it was kind of, instead of looking at, well, why is this guy using Xanax? Um, you know, he was given a strike on his uh, on his drug failures.
0: Yeah, well, I think it's important to point that out as well is that people think, you know, that, oh, well, they're drug tested, quote-unquote, but anyone I know who's there or who has been there, it's a legit thing. You get drug tested, and if you get caught three times, you're gone. Now, like, whether that's for everybody in the company, that's besides the point, but it is a legit drug test, and
1: I suppose... Yeah, I mean, policy- yeah, when I was injured, they were coming to my house, you know, I was at home with a concussion and, uh, they, you know, knocking on my door, at like half five for a random, uh, piss test. Yeah. Uh, you know, so like you, you couldn't smoke weed, you couldn't take drugs, you couldn't take steroids. um, and people were popping, you know, in developmental, so it was legit, the drug testing. Yeah. Well,
0: I suppose that's a way of, like, there is a duty of care there as well. And if you're injured and you're at home on your own, and I suppose if your head does start going, at least they're, they are checking in. And they're, you know, it's it's to do a drug test, but at least it's they're testing something, I suppose, you know?
1: Yeah. Oh, and, and to be fair, like, you know, I did have calls from from the most days. Hey, how you doing? How you keeping and stuff like that? And they did think it was in my best interest to stay at home. And, you know just kind of like let, let these concussions pass. So I have to say like they did take care of me and they did check in on me as well.
0: So was it the concussions that eventually were your downfall there?
1: I think it was a combination of everything. Uh, people that say this as well about the, the developmental system in there as well is that I got the, the, they have their own way of, of doing everything. And I had my own, I'd been trained in a certain way and obviously, WWE want you to do certain things their way. And I think just a whole load of—I of, 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 think it was the concussions, uh, my age, playing on my mind, um, knowing that I had to get out of developmental quite quickly and get onto TV to be worth the investment. Um, you know, it, it just questioning myself. Um, I kind of think I lost my com- i lost my confidence a great deal massively massively and I think it was a combination of as I said just the age the concussions these guys think that I'm injury prone these guys think that I'm you know whatever I'm not returning on their investment Um, I think yeah I think it was a combination of, of, of everything things got it was it kind of a shame for me because things got better when things got better when Becky kind of uh got to Orlando because I had someone that we could, like, you know, hang out with and just, sure. you know, another Irish person, you know. But uh, by that time, I just, I think I was starting to lose interest as well. Yeah, did you see the writing on the wall a little bit? I think so because, as I said, you know, I was playing against the clock and, you know, I I, I do think as well that they were looking at me and saying, this guy has had – I'll tell you a story. I mean, I remember going to – They were concerned about my concussion. So they sent me to Pittsburgh to get tested. And uh, the guy done all these tests on me. And he said to me at the end, he said, look, he said, we don't know how accurate these tests are, he says, but you've passed. But I'm going to tell you something, he said. If you get a concussion, he said, you probably shouldn't do that for six months. He said, if you get two concussions, he said, you should take the year off. He said, if you get three concussions, he said, you should never wrestle again. He said, and that's what I'm telling you right now. He says, but... I know you've come here to a different country and this is your dream. So you're going to do what, what what you want to do. And he says, but I would tell you, he says that you should probably consider retiring. And that was playing in the back of my mind as well, I suppose, as well. And then I was kind of thinking like, well, did he go back and, and tell the office this and stuff, you know? So um, I think it was a combination, but I think, I think I failed because I failed mentally. I think my mental mentally I just was I just wasn't home anymore
0: wow yeah I mean that's um that's that's heavy stuff so like did you
1: ask for a release or did you get left go um I think I've told this story before but uh, I had a match and I kind of felt a bit fucked over and um, I had a match basically yeah basically what happened was I- I'll give you the, 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 the short story of it all sure. but uh, I was in Orlando we were in a I was in Tampa and we were doing like a little spot show in Tampa and there was these two guys that were supposed to wrestle. And um, basically before they were supposed to go out, they found out that one of the guys had an injury that he'd been hiding from the office. Because again, it was the thing there. If you're injured, Oh, this guy's injury prone. Let's release him, you know? And I, I don't know whether that most of that was just in the guy's heads as well, you know, but, um, I was to wrestle this guy and the National Anthem is playing. And uh, they come out of the office with this guy that I'm supposed to wrestle, and he goes, he's out, and he points to this guy, uh, Simon Gotch, uh, Simon Grimm or something now, I think, he wrestles on the indies. Right. An absolute dickhead, but he. Uh, they ended up putting him in the match, and the match was fucking horrible. Uh, we were calling it cold on the fly, and uh, I remember, it, it, for though, if you don't know, Everything in WWE is basically you have an agent and they're watching a monitor backstage and they are talking to the referee and the referee relays messages to you. So I remember the referee saying, OK, give uh, give Gotch some of the match. So I picked him up and I remember I told him to float over, suplex me and, you know, take control. And he just wouldn't do it. And uh, the ref is screaming at me, take, give Gotch some of the fucking match. So uh, long story short, the match was fucking horrible. Um we got backstage and we got chewed out and uh Grim or Gotch just let me take the fucking heat for everything. And uh in the end I just said, Fuck you and fuck this place and I walked out of the meeting. And at that point I had put my hand out so much to be slapped that I was uh essentially called into the office and said, We can't have that anymore and it was basically me. I think it was my way of saying I'm I'm tapping out. I'm done. You know, yeah,
0: self sabotage kind of.
1: Yeah, and it was probably it probably you know at the same point, Gotch probably should have taken his his Jew, but I understand that he was probably nervous. He's been called into a match and it's cold. Cold match means that we haven't we've literally had no time to plan anything. Uh, Gotch was actually tying his shoelaces as uh, as as my music was playing. Um, right but uh yeah i essentially took the heat written i just said fuck it and i walked out of the meeting and um that was it they i remember in the time that i had my meeting they said you seem really unhappy here and i said i am so unhappy here and they said okay well then maybe you should go home then and i was like I, yeah i said i think that would be for the best and did you go straight home no i said uh, do you know what like and it's just a w way but They they keep you so busy there that I didn't have enough. I didn't have time to um, to actually enjoy Orlando. So I stuck around with Becky for like probably about another two weeks Mm -hmm. and just enjoyed Orlando. You know, hung out with Seamus for a bit. Seamus was, uh, I think Seamus was coming back with some shoulder injury. So, um, yeah, just kind of like enjoyed Orlando for you know a, a brief time, which was nice as well.
0: Well, that's good. But yes. Yeah. So then you arrive home to Ireland. What what year was this? Twenty fourteen? No, twenty thirteen. I think
1: maybe yeah. So
0: when you get back here, you're still a wrestler. Now you're an ex-WWE wrestler, and there's essentially still no scene here. Yeah. Like, how did it feel to like? I I know you worked a couple of shows in Cork for the place I used to work for as well, right? Which wasn't the best run place in the world, as we all know, right? Yeah. How do you adjust from working for dusty roads and all these people to go working in Cork for that type of a person?
1: Um, like I think when I came home as well, like, you know, not that you have a a big buzz, but you have a bit of a buzz. So I remember when I came home, I was able to fill up my dates. I'd always done quite well internationally wrestling. Yeah. Um, so when I came home and I put it out there that I was back taking bookings, so I filled up my calendar quite quickly, um, which was good because the scary part for me was realizing, okay, I'm now 33, 34, um, and I have my possessions is basically three suitcases and uh, you know a, a few thousands that I'd saved from when I was you know wrestling in, in Florida. Mm-hmm. So uh, that kind of motivated me to get out and kind of like wrestle as much as I could while I still had a bit of bit of buzz and, 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 and make as much money as I could. And at the time as well, like the, the good thing for me, I suppose at the time was that I was one of the very first guys to start doing merch. So like I was able to go and, and, and get a decent payday, but then I was also, you know, kind of able to sell a lot of t-shirts and also. These shows, like in Cork, for me were quite worth it because, Great. as you said, they were so badly organised. I was the only guy selling merch, so I was making my pay, and then at the end of the night, I was, you know, selling, you know, fifteen, twenty t-shirts uh, each night. You know what I mean? So those tours for me were like were 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 quite quite decent. But um, I remember it being just a really—I didn't realise it at the time, but I was uh, I was pretty angry at the time. But I suppose the anger was just kind of stemming from being. Uh, scared you know as I said I was I was back in back in Ireland and I'd three suitcases on you know just a couple of grand to get well not a couple but a few grand just to get me through the next couple of months I'm wondering what, what what am I doing next? Really, you know. Well,
0: this is where I'm getting to, I suppose, with all this. So, you told me before that when you kind of saw the writing on the wall in WWE, you kind of were watching how they ran their shows, production wise, and stuff like that. Yeah. And taking that on board. So, when does
1: the seed that becomes OTT start in your mind? Um, I'd always decide. Like, I think if you, it's not even a question. If you tell me tomorrow, Joe, you can either be a promoter or a wrestler for the rest of your days, but you can only pick one. It'd be promoting every day. Um, I just love promoting. So I'd always decided that I was... Right now, there was people that wanted me to wrestle. So I was still making shows around Europe and stuff. But uh, I'd always had an idea of maybe um, getting back into promoting and kind of, you know, waiting to see. But I was busy wrestling at the time. And uh, basically... I'm a big believer in kind of giving back. So I've lived an incredible life um, so far, and I'm pretty blessed in that. You know, I've traveled the world for free. I've wrestled in, you know, so many different countries for free and made some money doing it and have some great stories and met my idols and traveled on tour buses with them and stuff. And I think it's important to give back because if somebody didn't give to me, uh, that wouldn't have been possible. So many people helped me on the way. Uh, even guys like Seamus and stuff, just just even when I was in Florida, just giving me advice and, and and things. So I always feel it was important to give back. So I went to uh, I went back to coaching and helping, you know, some of the guys. Um, and who would have known, you know, like going into that school, some of those guys that were there. I mean, Angel Cruz, um, Rocky Mac, uh, Sesha Martina that I would have Scotty Davis, just this amazing kind of run with these guys. Um, But yeah, I remember talking to the guy that owned the train school at the time, Leonard Hannah, and he was like, would you be interested in kind of like uh, looking at doing some shows? And I was like, yeah, definitely. And we started bopping the idea of maybe doing over 18 shows. And that's basically where it took off. Uh, I remember we were both thinking of venues and uh Lenny said, "What about the tivoli?" And I was like, "Name the tivoli is closed years. You know, nothing goes on in the tivoli." He's like, "No, no, I think it's back open." And I remember we had a meeting with the guy, and it was like the universe all just, you know, leveled up for us. Everything fell into place. I remember the guy in the tivoli was like, "I've just taken this contract over. Uh, I really need to get gigs in here, so I'll give it to you cheap, and I'll do a drinks promotion for you." And I remember talking to Lenny, and I said. Lenny, this place is either going to absolutely die or it's going to be the greatest thing that's ever <laughs> and, uh, Funny enough, I was going through my phone yesterday. I'm going to upload them onto the Twitter. And I still have in my phone the pictures from the day I went into the Tivoli. And I started taking pictures of the Tivoli to uh, have in my mind as to what we could do with it. But I still have the pictures of the first time we went to see the Tivoli. But this is like, this is what's so
0: amazing about your story is that like um, the Tivoli is an old theater in, in Dublin city center, but you can see famous wrestling journalists tweet about this now as if it's a fabled place. You know, it is a fabled place now, you know, yeah. and it, it came from nothing. It came from you being in WWE, getting concussions, coming home and then just starting. It's It's all just so serendipitous. Yes, yeah. you know, to see where it is now is just unbelievable. So, like, I, I suppose, like, at what point did you start seeing this as being like the blowing up into the cultural zeitgeist in Ireland, like it is now?
1: Um, yeah, I I think probably when myself and Paul Tracy were doing our program, and I think it was just it was tailor made for for OGT. It was like I was the you know bare knuckle boxing guy, and you know drinking beer in the ring and paul tracy was this noble lord and their characters just worked so well together plus me and paul have great chemistry but i remember uh paul beating me for the belt and i remember watching people's reactions and knowing that this we have something here but people were invested you know and uh, that's that's when i realized there's something here
0: like for me anyway, like I've come in contact with people who aren't wrestling fans, but are OTT fans. Yeah. And that, that's. I think that's the greatest compliment that the promotion can be given.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You
0: know, like I, there's, there's a certain, you know, certain people who I know who are not wrestling fans, know nothing about wrestling, but love OTT. And that is just incredible. So like going back to just the start of it, I heard you tell a story before and I don't know, well, I think I heard you saying it. Is it true that you had to... You asked your mom, or maybe your mom offered to get a loan for you to put on that first show.
1: No, not the first show. Uh, and I'm quite proud of this because most most businesses kind of like you know they invest a, a few grand. We were lucky in terms that we had a ring. We had access to a ring. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Butch the uh, the OTT ring announcer. We borrowed his projector. Um, like I think myself and Leonard's put maybe probably like maybe 400 euros each invested into the, into the show. And it drew maybe I think the tickets were a tenner. It probably drew maybe 140 people. So we'd 1400 euros then to the next show, but it was actually uh the WrestleCon show where I did, where it was, that's when I was breaking I was starting to do OTT completely on my own. Right. And uh, I decided that I was going to do two nights in the table, back to back. And kind of booked this gigantic show and then realized shit I have to front all the money for this and uh, I remember saying like look I probably like six you know I have all these flights to book and all these hotels to book and um, advertise it as well um, and my mom was like well close as well you don't get the ticket money so I had to pay everyone's wages and front all the wage as well so yeah I remember my mom was like um, you know as I said my ma- my mom's a widow so you know so she she's not someone that you know, it was rolling in money, but she said like I have faith in you and you know, she says I have twenty thousand there, she said is my savings, but um you can have it if you want. And she she gave me the twenty thousand when I put it and thank God a week later, I was able to put it back into her account.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. Like I'm getting, I mean, I'm getting emotional listening to it because uh, like, my parents have been so so supportive for me and for everything I've done. And without them, I wouldn't have done anything near anything that I've done. You know what I mean? Or, or I'm going to do, hopefully, in the future. So I can definitely completely empathize with that. And that's why I wanted to include that in this story because it's such an amazing gesture. <clears throat> Excuse me. For me, I have to gather yeah. myself here. I'm ruining my reputation. And, um, and, um, it's just, it's just an amazing story, but like, look, there's no point in charting the rise of OTT. That's a different podcast and a different theme altogether. Look, everyone knows, you know, how successful it is and it's become, and it's unbelievable. But I suppose to stay on the theme of the podcast, what about you? You run, you do everything. You have this on your shoulders, on your head the whole time. How do you
1: stay in any way sane? Um, I've been lucky as well to just grow with it, you know? So as I said, the first show was maybe, we just had two imports, which was Pete Dunne and Ryan Smile. And, you know, there wasn't anything too stressful about it. But uh, as it grew, I suppose I grew with it, you know? And that's why I always say sometimes in my tweets, which are so badly written, but I always say, like, when I watch OTT shows, I remember exactly where I was in my life, you know, whether it be just lying on my bed and, you know, thinking of, of of ideas and thinking of how we can get this over and would this work and um i suppose though like getting back to it i, I said it as well like i was quite angry back then you mm-hmm. know but i think the anger was from you know talking to, to people the anger i think stemmed stemmed from kind of fear yeah Um fear of like, you know, as I, as I was saying there a while ago, like, you know, I was three, I tree three suitcases um, and, you know, three suitcases and, 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 you know, some savings, what am I going to do next? And I, as OTT grew, I grew in fear of it, you know, going away.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. so, you know, I think, there was times as well, like I'm, many people laugh about it now, Um, but I was just probably hell on those show days. You know, I mm-hmm. screamed like if, if anything, and looking at it was was because I was probably in fear of things going wrong and the show not working and this being taken away. Um. Yeah. But you were very angry in the early days,
0: and that's coming from you saying that to me. You know, that's not me hearing that from other people.
1: Yeah, I mean, like I remember, I remember, uh, and I would, you know. I'm probably an intimidating looking guy as well. You, know, you are. I, I, all jacked up. And you know. I remember once, one show, I can't even tell you what it was. One show I remember I went to the uh, entranceway and I seen Foxy for some reason was standing in the ring. He's the referee, by the way, for anyone who doesn't know. Yeah, Foxy was standing in the ring holding the OTT tag belts. And it wasn't supposed to be that way. And uh, I remember I just started screaming, who the fuck gave Foxy the tag belts? <laughs> and I remember I turned and I just put my fist through the door. Like the whole locker room Was watching You know what I mean But um, I was just mad back then I suppose You know what I mean Not in a like, good
0: way No no But you're you're absolutely The polar opposite of that now It's it's very As I said to you Stoic Very chilled Very leveled I know you probably Don't feel that way But what I suppose to go for Because I've been that Angry soldier as well And it all does stem from fear It's what I've learned Through all the therapy Is like Fear sadness I think You know Yeah but how do you Like you obviously Have coping mechanisms now That you didn't have before
1: Yeah. I mean, one of the the, the best things that I ever learned was that you have a limited amount of energy, a limited amount of physical energy, mental energy, um, emotional energy. And I think it's very, very important that you don't waste your energy. And I think that's something that's allowed me to help OTT be where it is, is that I manage my energy, but I try to manage my energy. So for instance, like like like, I'll give you the door example, you know, I went and seen Foxy standing, it wasn't Foxy's fault, but stand there and do something that wasn't supposed to happen. I then put my fist through the door and then I went backstage and I was so angry that I couldn't put my match together because I was focusing my energy on what happened in the ring. Mm -hmm. Went out, probably didn't have a great match. And why? Because I kind of mismanaged my energy. So now I kind of just really focus on, you know, is this am I wasting my energy here? You know what I mean? Am I putting my energy into the wrong places? And uh, that's something that, you know, because I I do firmly believe you've a limited amount of energy and it's up to you to kind of, you know, be careful as to where you want to place that.
0: Well, that's definitely, uh, that's definitely something people can take on at home because it's something I'm taking on myself right now, even listening to it. I am the worst in the world for giving my energy to other things. And I, there's stuff that I'm, I told you this the other day, we were just chatting. I keep overthinking things that have happened over the last couple of months and just can't let go. And I'm now, you know, it's affecting me during lockdown, but I could be getting stuff done and it's yeah. all, but like, where did, like this is, that's hugely brilliant advice, but who gave that advice to you? Where did you come up with this?
1: Oh, my mom. My mom was always, she's she's the one that's kind of guided me through all my, you know, everything. But me and my mom, I've like, we sometimes scream and bicker at each other. But, you know, she's always been the one that kind of, and she used to always say that I was a dorman. I used to be a nightclub dorman. And I tell my mom these stories. And she was like, you're not realizing, she says that you got, you allowed yourself to get angry because some of the guy is angry. And I was like, yeah, but mad, this, 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 and this. And she's like, and it took me a long time to figure it out, you know, um, you know, just, just be very careful as to what you waste your energy on because it's your energy and you, you can be using your energy, whether it be your mental energy, your emotional energy for things that are going to make you better as opposed to some stuff that's just a, you know, as I go back to it, you know, I put my fist through a door, probably had to pay for the door <laughs> and, you know, I then went backstage, I was so angry, um, probably freaked a lot of people out. Um, I didn't have a good match because I, you know, misspent my energy. So, you know, I could have, could have, put my energy in different places and, you know, use the better, I suppose.
0: Yeah, it's, a, it's amazing advice. And I think anyone will take that on. But for me, I thoroughly believe that we're, we're kind of sent things all the time. And this is exactly the advice that I need to hear personally right now. So it's kind of very serendipitous in itself. So look, I suppose re- most recently we're going through what we're going through now with this COVID-19 and cancellations and stuff like that. And I remember speaking to you only a couple of weeks ago, which feels like months ago now, yeah. when you came to Waterford to see my show, uh, which I was thankful that you did, by the way and um we sat in the in the bar in the hotel and you said to me because scrapper mania was coming up which is ott's biggest show of the year and i was saying to you are you excited are you ready and i was saying to you that i can now finally start looking forward to it because my show was ending and you were like i can't look forward to it i was like what do you mean And i'm afraid of this this coronavirus cancel and i remember laughing at you yeah that you are mad do you remember that yeah yeah i laughed at you and days later the whole world shut down so i suppose like we had a conversations about how stressed you are, com- were coming up to it and all that. And we were talking about mantras and all that kind of stuff, which people wouldn't expect, I think, Tony Kelly and Joker Bray to be talking about. But yeah. we were. So I suppose, like, how did you
1: handle it? Were you okay? Were you not okay? Did you, like, talk me through that process. Uh, it's weird because I remember when I was talking to you in Waterford that night, I remember talking to you, but I think deep down, I didn't really believe that the yeah. show could be canceled. And I remember uh, coaching at my school on the Monday and talking to the guys, and I was like, oh, I don't know, you know, this, this this coronavirus seems to be getting quite serious. And uh, they were like, oh, no, no, you'd be grand. And I remember the guys going, like, if anything happens, it's, it's not going to happen until the following week, you know yeah, what I mean? we like, all thought that. Yeah, yeah, you know, it was like, they're not going to, you know, cancel Paddy's day and stuff. And But I think by Thursday... Maybe it's kind of hard because, as you said, all the days just kind of roll into one at this yeah. point. All well, quarantine, but I remember by probably Thursday, Thursday being like, I'm ninety five percent going to have to have to pull this show. It's it's not going to happen. Like, um, yeah, it's crazy, crazy time.
0: It is, but in fairness, um you on about energies and giving things your energy like I was legitimately like the first thing I did was text you like are you okay personally because you had said how much your head was wrecked not to plug the podcast name or anything like that but that's a fact but like you never seemed phased you seemed to take it and now I've kind of turned it into a positive you're doing the YouTube shows and like putting out different content and the video yourself and Jeff uh, Jeff put out Jeff Dial about coming back and you announced even that the the sixth anniversary show is the sixth or f- seventh where are we Next. Sixth in October, so like you seem to be taking a negative and at least positively heading forward with it.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, look, we lost a tremendous amount of money. Yeah, I think you know the, the the hard part for me, for me, you know, and Pete, this will sound weird, like the financials are kind of hard to deal with as it is. But mm-hmm. if the, the the thing that killed me was kind of the memories we would have made. Yeah, I think Moxley versus Star in the stadium. You know, I think we had that kind of i think we would have created so many memories i think it would have been a match like david star and jordan delvin that people would have looked back on that killed me mm-hmm. um but i just learned again it's managing my energy i can't change this you know i can't yeah. i can't make it you know i i felt i also felt so sorry for the crew you know yeah. guys like yourself and all and, the crew who was training hard and you know, they they'd bought merchandise as well, you know, I mean that helps them through and I felt good for them. And I felt good for the fans as well because everyone was so buzzing to see this. Yeah. But, you know, I kinda took it as me wasting my energy and getting upset and angry about this and blaming things it's not going to change the situation. I need to find better ways of the best way of, of dealing with this. And uh you know, I did, I just stuck with, you know, meditating every day and, and, um, and accepting what it was, you know, acceptance, acceptance, the situation I think is, is the best thing. And, and again, sitting on your own and realizing, you know, okay, where's my energy going on this? And, and what's the next, uh, what's the next turn? What, what can we do, you know?
0: Well, look, I think that sums up your whole story, Joe. To be honest with you, is to take you know take on this this that would a lot of people would think would be a negative thing in sync within themselves and actually turn it into a positive and look forward to what's next. It's a hugely inspirational story, and I'm really delighted that you came on and shared it with me and for everyone else as well.
1: Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. I want to say as well, like just the uh, overwhelmed by the support. Yeah. So as you said, like taking you know a negative and turn it into a positive. I had no. I mean, I knew people loved OTT, but I would know it enabled me to see fans say, this is what helps me through when I'm having a shitty week, knowing that OTT is, you know, that weekend or Mm -hmm. this has helped me. I mean, just the out, the, the outpour that I've had from people, you know, saying like I'd suffered from depression and, you know, it was when I went to OTT, it was the first thing that got me out of the house and I started coming out of myself again. And, um, just, you know, the upside of realizing how much OTT means to people and, that spurred me on so much
0: it's amazing it's a so much positivity all around it and I think that's the that is the best way to, to leave it Joe so look thank you so much
1: thanks for having me thanks Joe
0: plus